Welcome to Christian Life with Dr. William Baker. I'm your host, Dr. William Baker. And this week on Christian Life, we're going to be talking about the works of John. Uh, specifically, we're going to be discussing the writings of a man named John. Uh, we'll be discussing the Gospel of John and the first, second, and third epistles of John. We're going to discuss uh, selected topics from the Gospel of John, um, as the Gospel of John is a much larger work uh, than the Epistles of John. Uh, when, when appropriate, we're going to touch on the um, authorship and potential controversy due to lack of information regarding the specific authorship of the works. The Gospel of John was written by a man named John, who focuses this Gospel on the actions and teaching of the Word as expressed through Jesus Christ. Now, that's what we've come to know from the Bible. I mentioned the gospel was written by a man named John, as there's some controversy over who John was. In historical biblical documentation, there are several Johns mentioned. John, the son of Zebedee, and John the Elder are two names highlighted as potential authors for this gospel. Now, Papias and Polycrates are two well-known historical figures um, associated they associated the authorship uh, with John the Elder. Now, this John the Elder was assigned the label disciple, but was not one of the twelve. John, the son of Zebedee, was one of the twelve disciples. This is also mentioned by Arrhenius, who knew John the Elder. Arrhenius authored many works, and was careful to distinguish apostles from disciples in his works. Irenaeus states that the Gospel of John was written by the apostle. As we see above, Papias and Polycrates differ from Irenaeus on authorship. But this is but one example of controversy of the authorship surrounding the Gospel of John. You know, throughout history, you know, there's always been that um, controversy, you know, who wrote it? While there's controversy over authorship and we're limited, you know, on space and time, we're going to proceed by saying that John wrote the gospel. The gospel of John was written for all churches and meant to be read in a progressive manner. The miracles Jesus performed were meant to help the witnesses to these miracles believe specifically believe in the word that Jesus was teaching. One of the prominent miracles that Jesus performed was walking on water. As a storm raged, Jesus stood on the sea. The disciples were terrified. They were thinking they were going to sink in the boat. And, you know, Jesus called out to them and told them, Do not be afraid, I am. John's written account of this tells us who Jesus was based on his first-hand account. First-hand account. It wasn't second-hand. It wasn't something that somebody told him. In this miracle, many of the disciples were scared and completely missed Jesus' point. You know, there's this huge storm raging. The boat is violently rocking, and its occupants are scared. Most people would focus on the rolling currents, gusting winds, and the rain. But that is not what Jesus is talking about. You don't need to be afraid of the sea or the winds or the rain. These are all earthly elements. Jesus is talking about something that is not of this earth. 
Jesus is talking about the word. If you believe in Jesus, then you believe in the creator who made everything. So why would you worry about anything that was made if you believe in the one who created it? Another demonstration of truth we're going to discuss surrounds the woman who committed adultery. The woman was charged with committing adultery and was going to be stoned. Now, the Pharisees who told Jesus what she did and indicated, according to law, she was to be stoned. So the question to Jesus was what should be done with her? The Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus with the question. You know, Jesus replied with the famous command, let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. This was certainly a profound statement. There's only one who is sinless, and that one is Jesus. Jesus did not condemn the woman. If Jesus did condemn the woman, and he is the only one that's sinless, and you know, and he didn't condemn her, then who are we to condemn the woman? You know, we have a sinful nature. We're flesh. Jesus doesn't want us to condemn people. Jesus' commandments made clear we're to love one another. There's only one who will judge, and that is God. You know, we're going to um, discuss some other important issues and items from the Gospel of John. Now, since we're limited, we'll, you know, touch on a couple more things. In the Gospel of John, many titles are used to reference Jesus. Messianic titles, um, you know, they refer to Jesus as Messiah, Son of God, King of Israel. Jesus never used these titles to refer to himself. Jesus was uh, fulfilling a prophecy from Moses. So let us focus on the title Son of God. We're told that the word belongs to God and would use be used in creation. As was mentioned in the above reference to walking on water, Jesus referred to himself as I am. Jesus is plainly telling everyone he's the son of God, but also God. Jesus acknowledges that he's independent and dependent on his father. By using the phrase I am, Jesus is claiming divinity. Now, this is clearly in line with the teachings of God. Phraseology is just words that may or may not have a meaning to someone. Jesus went beyond phraseology and actually demonstrated miracles, so there'd be a witness to associate the works to the teachings. As we know, this would ultimately lead to the cross and potential for man to have salvation and eternal life. The Gospel of John is important to demonstrate works beyond the linguistic teachings. As Jesus, Jesus witnessed, excuse me, as John witnessed Jesus in difficult times. You know, when it was difficult, he was the standard. His disciples could watch him and see what he did. They were learning from that. You know, it was in, to include that Passion Week and Jesus' death. When they saw him, and, and they were begging him to, you know, run, hide, but he didn't. People can hear, but sometimes they do not believe until they see with their own eyes. 
Now, the first epistle of John was written by John at a time when he was advanced in age. Now, some may say, what's an epistle? Well, an epistle is very simple. An epistle is a letter. That's simply all it is. It's a letter. So the first epistle of John was written by John at a time when he was advanced in age. He was older. John was a direct witness to the teachings of Jesus Christ and had witnessed many prosecutions from several Roman emperors. The first epistle of John was written to speak about what God commanded. And it's verses, the Gospel of John, you know, which is focused on what Jesus as the manifestation of God did. So the Gospel of John was focused on what Jesus as the manifestation of God did. And the first epistle, the first letter of John was written about what God commanded. Now, John felt he had the duty to record as much of his knowledge as possible. John wanted to provide a message to his readers that he refers to as my little children. All of his readers were my little children. He specifically is reminding them what the word is and that they should not sin. John does this in a unique way. He briefly takes the readers back to the beginning. When we think about the word beginning, we typically think about the start of something. In this case, believers might get confused and think we're talking about when God came into existence. But it's, it's a, rather a, a state rather than the start and points to the time at which Jesus came into the world and that God pre-existed beginning. The theory and logic behind this makes perfect sense. Jesus is both God and man. Jesus was born, making the word flesh. Now, Jesus relies on God the Father and is one with God, who existed before the world was formed. More precisely, God exists without the possibility of not existing, which means God is and always will be. There's no capacity for not being in God. God is, God bees. We are beings, and humans are beings. And at some point, a human will cease to exist and therefore not be. Being. The ing is conditional. We're conditional. God bees, is, cannot not be. I know it sounds crazy, but think about it. Now, this is a very important concept. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. If God has always been, and God will always be, then the Word has always been, and will always be. It's a deep concept. Jesus is the Word manifest in the flesh. Jesus is also the light. The Word is truth. If Jesus is the Word, and the Word is truth, then Jesus is also truth. Jesus is also light. If Jesus is the light and the word, when it stands to reason that the word is also light. So Jesus is the truth and the light. If Jesus is the light, then there could be no darkness in him. Therefore, darkness is evil. This is also where John instructs the reader to walk in the light. John wants us to walk in the truth of the word. John wants us to walk in the light of God. 
John is carefully weaving the relationship between God and Jesus together for the readers to show that God exists. Therefore, the word, which is truth and light, are without the possibility of not being. Now, Jesus, being God and man, took on humanly form and gave up humanly form. Jesus, the man, was temporary, but Jesus, the God, is. After Jesus, the man, left this world by dying a human death, God still is and always will be. John wants the readers to understand that Jesus existed before he took human form and still exists without human form. This is a difficult concept for many as they think Jesus was a normal person who lived a regular life and died a normal death. Well, they can trace Jesus' roots to a mother, a father, and can link his teachings to his upbringing and education in the temple. But there's a bit of scientific rationale going on that. Attempts to provide an understanding. They're trying to provide an understanding in terms of scientific rationale. What many people do not understand is when they think in these terms, they're restricting God. Basically, we're applying a subjective limitation based on what we know to think about God. And when we do that, we're limiting how we can think about God and therefore what God is. In the first epistle of John, John is not giving us anything new. John's reiterating what we've already been given and applying some thought and common sense. We've already discussed that God is light, therefore God is not darkness. We can apply darkness to imposters and the Antichrist since they do not walk in the light of God. They don't know God. What is meant to walk in the light of God? We must love and keep God's commandments. God's love is a perfect love. We cannot say that we know God if we hate others. For a lot of people, this is problem. It's a big problem. Most would say they believe in God, and the people they hate are not really Christian. There will be some excuse given for the reason not to love everyone, of course. We're always going to, oh, you can't love them. They, you know, there's the excuse. We need to remember that God loved everyone. God did not pick and choose. In keeping God's commandments, we can also not lie or sin. It's made very clear to us that God is truth. Therefore, if we lie, we cannot say that we know God because God is truth and God does not lie. Also, be careful. Giving support of any kind to include a simple greeting or comfort and aid support the false teachings these people communicate. We have a responsibility to determine if the people we surround ourselves with, you know, the people we surround ourselves with are children of God. If we are enabling them to continue their mission of falsehood, then we are supporting the lie they are speaking and therefore not walking in the light of God. Some would argue that a good Christian would provide comfort and support if needed. We should think of this in another manner. Think of an executioner who is going to put you to death via firing squad. The firing squad is ready to carry out the execution, but they have no bullets. 
you just so happen to have enough bullets in your pocket to give one bullet to each member of the firing squad. Would you offer the bullets in your pocket to the firing squad so they could execute you? Or would you not say anything keeping the bullets in your pocket and remaining alive? I know this sounds a bit extreme, but it's not. We're dealing with the possibility of obtaining eternal salvation or not. While the firing squad may end a humanly existence, the lack of obtaining eternal salvation would cause a permanent and total death. The last thing we need to do is pray. God does hear our prayers. We know the Son, therefore we know the Father, and we could communicate through the Son to the Father. I pray like that all the time. Jesus is our advocate to God. He intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. Since God does hear our prayers, we should be careful how we pray. We need to pray according to his will. Now, God may not always answer, but God does hear us. The second epistle of John, remember epistle means letter, so the second letter of John was written to discuss anti-Christian teaching. At the time of the writing of the second epistle of John, John was referred to as the elder. The second epistle of John is a short letter addressed to the elect lady. Being addressed to the elect lady has brought up many questions throughout history. Specifically, many wonder if the elect lady was a specific female or if John was referring to the church. Now, there's quite a few historians who say it was referring to a, a church as the elect lady. Is similar to Old Testament references in which the church was referred to in feminine terms. So they're saying because, the, you know, in the Old Testament it was referred to in feminine terms, he was probably talking about the church. Now, during this time of religious prosecution, John was very much aware of others who were preaching the so-called word. But what they taught was a false word. This time of religious prosecution is also why some believe John addressed the letter to the elect lady. Some believe that John used the elect lady to specify a church without using the church's name in an effort to avoid bringing potential religious persecution on the church in question. Others believe the elect lady was possibly a woman of means that had influence in the local church and was referenced in this manner to avoid religious prosecution. This was understandable since religious persecution could result in the removal of social status or even death of an individual. An organization under religious prosecution could be dismantled or destroyed. The potential harm from religious prosecution during these times could be terminal. The focus of this epistle is on anti-Christian teaching. John was a devout follower of Jesus. John was also a pupil who became a teacher very similar to Jesus, except Jesus was never a pupil. Through his time with Jesus, John came to know the word, and the word was truth. John knew the word because he heard it from the lips of Jesus, and because the word came from the mouth of Jesus, was in no way new, but rather had existed from the beginning. By understanding what the word was, John knew what the word was not. 
John tells us that the Antichrist, the Antichrist, who are preaching false truth, do not acknowledge that Jesus came into the world as a man and took fleshly form. For John, this is just totally unacceptable. You cannot be considered walking in the light if you follow false doctrine. John is witnessing many people listening to these deceivers preach a false truth. And John knows if you listen to these deceivers, you're, risk, you're at risk of losing eternal salvation. John has, given us many, John has given us the means to identify these false teachers. You know, John told us if someone's not teaching that Jesus Christ has a humanly birth and took a human body, they were a deceiver. John made it very simple for everyone to make this determination, and we're expected to do so with great care. We have to be careful. What happens when we find someone who is an antichrist and preaching false doctrine? You know, what happens? What happens when we find them? Well, John tells us. He makes it very clear that we're not to welcome these people at the door, and we're not to greet them. This is very, very clearly stated and easy to understand. But there's more to it than just surface-level simplicity. Typically, when someone comes to your door, the average person is going to open the door and greet the person warmly. We welcome them into our home. We actively invite them in. John is telling us not to, specifically telling us not to. The person standing at the door before us is working against the truth. If we are walking in truth and we're working to spread the word, of truth, then why would someone receive someone at their home or in their home who is in opposition to the most important mission there is? Typically, when you greet someone at the door, words are exchanged, which convey some form of positivity. We really do not want that person to be successful in their mission because they're deceiving people. If we offer such words of encouragement to them, in fact, what we are do really doing is not walking in truth because we're verbally supporting this Antichrist. You know, Antichrist doesn't necessarily mean we're talking about the devil. It's someone who is anti-Christ. They don't believe in God. They don't want us to believe in God. They're trying to undo that. They want us to not have faith. John doesn't want us to shake hands or give any salutations or words of encouragement. You know, that's that's simply what it is for the for the second epistle. He's telling us, you know, hey, if you see this and they're like this, then, you know, these are the things you shouldn't do because you're you would be supporting that. Yes, you want to be nice. But if you think about it, do you really want to support that if it goes against what you believe at your core? I mean, that's like the core, your super core being that that is, you know from which we develop ourselves, if you're a Christian. Now, the third epistle of John is similar to the second epistle, epistle of John in regards to the size. The third epistle of John is a small letter addressed to Gaius, whom was beloved by John. The letter starts by indicating that it is written by the elder or the presbyter. Presbyter can mean elder or minister of a church. So that's what presbyter means, but it was written by an elder or presbyter. The reference to John would depend on the Bible and translation you were reading from. 
Gaius must have had a special place in John's heart since John referred to him as beloved. He doesn't do that much. And it's only to those that he has this, you know, affinity for. There's also a Gaius of Corneth um, that exists, but notes that Gaius was a common name of the time, and we have no reliable means of connecting the two. So should we, we should proceed um, as if they're different individuals, Gaius and the Gaius of Corneth, you know, because we can't build that. Um, we can't show that it's the same person. Now, tradition would make Gaius the Bishop of Pergamum. Now, this is interesting. As other readings um, indicated, there's no such elevation. Um, in fact, you know, some refer to Gaius as an ordinary person, um, but you know, hey, was he ordinary? Were, were they a bishop? You know, we don't know. We don't have enough information. We got to remember, um, you know, we're, we need to be cautious when proceeding, uh, uh, you know, as though the Gaius referenced were two separate individuals because we don't have the, that specific information that, that links everything together. So John's third epistle complements Gaius on his behavior and actions. It was clear to John, based on direct witness testimony to him, that Gaius was walking in truth and supporting evangelists. So he's supporting the evangelists at the time, you know, and he's, he's walking in that truth and supporting them. And you got to be careful because, like I said, you could be condemned. It could be terminal. You could die. John was elated that Gaius was acting as, you know, he'd been taught. This was even more important to John since John refers to him as one of his children. Now, here we see that John's referring to one of his pupils. His children were the ones he directly taught. If you were a teacher, what better way to know that your teaching actually made a difference than by someone directly telling you what they saw your pupil doing? This is a great honor and compliment. John is clear to acknowledge this in his letter to Gaius. Hey, I met somebody. They told me you're doing great work, and I really appreciate you for what you're doing. John's telling him what a good job he's doing. As a pupil, we love to hear accolades from our instructors when we've done and continue to do good works. This is a morale booster and encourages the pupil to continue to do good work and even strive for more. Persecution was common. So for Gaius to receive such a letter, you know, he must have been, it must have been refreshing since most of the time they're getting, you know, admonished for things. The letter being short, John tells Gaius he has much to discuss with him, but he does not wish to put it in writing, but rather come to speak with him directly. Uh, you know, since the local church was ignoring his letters and failing to help evangelists, evangelists in need. A lot of the churches were, you know, doing their own things. When when um, the disciples come around, yes, they preached it, and they tended to stray from it, and, you know, you constantly had to... It's almost like when, when the, the Israelites were coming out of um, the Egyptian slavery and through the wilderness, you know? 
they didn't put all their faith in God, and God had to, God whittled them down, and I mean, they a lot of them died. Why? Because they didn't trust and put their faith in God. They kept wanting to do something else, the easy thing. They wanted to not do what God wanted. Diotrophies, like so many people of influence, wanted power and control. You know, John was, John was attempting to spread the truth, while Diotrephes sought to control and establish a truth that would fit his own agenda. Um, now, who is this Diotrephes? In the local church at the time, you know, he was the power of the church. And he had his own agenda. And it wasn't, you know, as I was saying, you know, these churches, he had his own agenda, influence. And uh, he changed the church basically because he was power hungry. You know, uh, we know one truth since Diotrephes failed to acknowledge John and the evangelists. John, excuse me, Diotrephes was not walking in the truth of the word. Um, he just wanted the power. He wanted the everybody to worship him, kind of. And, uh, you know, we don't have a whole lot on this individual other than he was a power in the church. And, you know, John's out here preaching and teaching. And it's kind of difficult for your followers to, to really do that when you've got this other person, you know, that's counter to what you're doing and they're, and they're fighting you, you know, behind the scenes there. So through the works of John, we see parallel concepts and teaching. The uniformity of teaching in the gospel and epistles provide a measure of confidence that John did live his life as he preached. John believed in the word and what he was saying. His works demonstrate that he believed what, you know, in the word and what he was saying. One can only hope that we can demonstrate through the adherent walking in the light of God. And remember, we need to evaluate those around us. You know, are they really walking in the word and the light of God? And when they come to your door, you'll know what to do. Remember, and, and they're, they're not very long. It's the first epistles, the second and third. The first letter, second letter, third letter of John. Like we said, the gospel of John's a little bit longer. But it tells you how you, you should react and how you should treat evangelicals and you know evangelists that are roaming and those that come around and then how we should live our lives by that word and that light and the truth and it's not easy it's never easy you know but we're talking about our eternal souls here this time on earth is short yes we don't want to suffer no one wants to suffer. I don't like seeing people suffer. But at the same time, you can't save the world. If someone doesn't willingly come to God, and even then, you know, when they come to God, it doesn't mean you give up everything, everything for that person. Because then that person has whatever you had and you don't have, and then you're suffering. You have to maintain a wellness physically, spiritually, mentally, and take care of yourself 
and that enables you to take care of others. So having said that, I hope you enjoyed the podcast this week. It was a little bit about John. Um, as we talked about, you know, there's the son of Zebedee, there's John the elder, you know, and in the context of the Bible, and when we look back in history, if it can be clearly identified who the individual is, that's great. But because we're going back so far, you can't always identify the the individual as being, you know, when you see when you see the name, you can't say it's, oh, it's that one. There are some instances of that, but we have to be careful because, you know, there's not an exactness when we go back that far unless we have the concrete evidence. And in this case, we don't on some of the writings. So we just need to be careful about that. So having said that, I want to wish everyone out there to have a blessed day. And remember, if you're suffering, God is always there with you. He's always going to be there with you. He's always listening. You may not think so, but he is. You're never alone. You may have forgotten that he's there with you. And you may have, you know, I don't want to say come into some opposition, but mentally you may think and feel that, that he's not there. But if you get right with God, you'll realize he's never left. And God is there for you. So remember that. I want everybody to stay safe and go with God. God bless everyone this week. Thank you. For Christian Life, I'm your host, Dr. William Baker. Have a blessed week. Mm-hmm.